0: Hey, listeners, we're back with some fresh perspectives in securities finance, where the street comes for some good stock loan information and a few
1: laughs, and where beneficial owners come to learn. This is Issa Insights. Let's get over to our episode. Sure. Do you think that I have a lot to say, Jim?
0: You most certainly do. Yes, All you right. do.
1: I tend to keep hey. things punchy. Jeez, Luis. I didn't say it wasn't punchy. All right. (laughs) Speaking of being punchy, it's a Friday, folks. So listeners, we're starting already. Jim's being punchy. So that means Mm. it's time to get going here. It's Brooke and Jim with you back on the mic. And today we have a fantastic guest with us. It's Phil Morgan, CEO of Piram. Phil, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
2: I'm very well. Thank you. Glad to be invited for the first time, I believe. I've done a work. It with, is. It is. This is your first finance. ESEC
1: Lending Insights. I love I a it.
2: Securities Finance with you, Brooke, but first ESEC one. So, really happy to be here and wondering, inquiring what I'm going to be asked and what we're going to discuss. So excited. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, Phil asked yesterday, as oftentimes guests do ask us, if there's any prep that was needed and what to expect. And the answer is no prep needed. And we're going to surprise you along the way. It'll keep it more interesting and hopefully more engaged for our listeners. So thanks for being flexible and nimble, Phil. We appreciate it.
2: No worries. My kind of podcast. Perfect.
1: <laughs> good, good. So it is 2024, Phil. We are roughly two months into the year. We mm-hmm. have lots of regulatory implementations ahead of us in this market. We have significant advances in technology. We have things like AI knocking around every day. Knocking around every corner, no, hiding around every corner, knocking at every door. This is where Jim knows that I suffer in my. Could
0: have been three mixed metaphors in one (laughs) right there, which could be your record. I don't even know where you were going with that, but. Well, I'm just saying. Yeah,
1: I'm just saying that there's lots of things in your space with Pyram. You guys must be paying attention to a lot of different areas all at once and deciding where to sort of put resources.
2: Where to focus
1: on building out new products, new technology, different ways to support the market. And yeah, I guess let's jump in there. And how do you react and respond to that? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, look, it's continually, you know, even for an industry that's 20, 30 years old, it feels like there's lots of new stuff happening, be that regulatory led or from a tech perspective. I think you're dead right from an AI perspective. That's brought in a exciting tailwind for us to consider and use. And indeed, we are already harnessing the value of AI in some cases.
1: Do you have people, Phil, at Piram that just focus on that area of the business? We're also owned by private equity, as you and probably the market knows. I think we were actually born in a similar era. Jim and I were talking about our birth years a little bit before you joined. And didn't Pyram start right around the same time? ESEC was 2000. Aren't you guys also 2000? Am I wrong on that? You were 2000. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, so, happy 24th year to you too.
2: Exactly. I think we, we're no longer kind of spotty teenagers. We're now adjusting <laughs> adolescents or early adults.
1: So. Yes, definitely. So it is a game of sort of finite resources, especially when you think about you have your sort of core business that you're obviously looking to grow and evolve, but then you have these ancillary pieces. Do you have people within the business that just spend time focused on that? Because obviously it otherwise takes time away from someone like yourself or others that are more product core business focused. I'm just curious.
2: We do in some ways and we don't in other ways. Depending on what the product is, we have kind of pods, I would say. So we have post-trade pod and we have a collateral management pod and repo, which is obviously a big developing area for us. And within each of those, we got to kind of get a business head or a product lead. And essentially those pod owners, they're challenged or given the responsibility to kind of think what next, as it were.
1: Right, right. Um, So So as those things fit, that's maybe where a particular business owner might pick it up and decide if it's worthy of exploring further.
2: Yes, you've got those individual lines. So effectively, those individual pods will come up with their next priority items. So that would kind of maybe create 10, 12 in total. And then you layer in more potentially horizontal kind of opportunities like AI would be one that I would see crossing the verticals in a sense, and then some more broad innovations that we're looking to so things that aren't existing products but could be new products going forward that's probably where Rob Frost myself the kind of more the Exco level would challenge ourselves because it's not existing so therefore we need to spend time on really working out what it could be or what it's going to be and I think the diligence of having private equity owners who aren't necessarily subject matter experts is its a bit kind of like Shark Tank in a way or Dragon's Den, where you almost have to make a pitch for capital, really, because that's what we're talking about here. So there's a degree of finite capital and you need to really have kicked the tires and pressure tested extensions of existing products and new products and say, why do you think that's a good idea? And what's the return on capital going to be in two or three years? So does it look like a good investment from the capital you're expending relative to the revenue you could get? So so I think that diligence is really important because what it forces us to do as a kind of management team is really seriously challenge each other and question before we get into that pitch mode, into the kind of shark tank mode. So if we had 16 originally, maybe now we're only recommending we do five because we feel they're the ones that are the kind of big bets or the best bets.
0: I'm over here taking notes. So much of this is parallel, Phil. You're talking about finite resources, finite capital, prioritization. Everything you just spoke about is really prioritizing a busy Plate of work and we're facing the same thing whether it's trade opportunities or those vertical horizontal projects and trying to kind of prioritize them as best we can for us which is the widest net that we can cast when it comes to facilitating business with brokers or for our clients and so it's a big struggle like in our prep talk we were talking a little bit about being overly busy and we thought technology was supposed to make us less busy but it doesn't seem to be the case but I think it's a good thing certainly sounds like it's a good thing for you guys and Same for us, but we're struggling to determine what our 24 projects are going to be. That finite resources is Mm -hmm. acute at ESEC, and we really need to focus. And so you talk to counterparts just like we do. So I'm wondering, from your conversations, what seems to be the most important or the handful of most important topics on the borrower side? So obviously, with the recent outage that we've had, in the industry and kind of challenges we've had over trading on an automated basis, that's probably top of mind for most. But other than that, like what are people focused on?
2: Yeah, no, I think you know, resiliency has always been quite higher on clients' agendas. I think given recent events, that's gone to top one or top two. So we're getting a lot of incoming in relation to that. Fortunately, a huge amount of Our time and resources over the last few years genuinely has been invested in resiliency and moving to the cloud and what have you. So, again, we've spent time on that and clearly are going to continue spending time. I think in terms of the priorities for our clients, and I guess we speak to the borrower community, but also to lenders like yourselves and others, I think it's an evolving business. I think increasingly everyone's viewing it globally. I think you're having less regional aspects, certainly from a solution provision if clients could standardize processes globally yeah. and solve the issue globally in a standardized way that's their preference so in relation to that you know obviously regs always take resiliency is probably number one or two and regulation is always going to be top of the agenda for obvious reasons so something like t plus one that's upcoming going to drop in may this year now we've clearly launched recalls, and we're viewing that as a global solution. So again, clients, we've had good traction with yourselves included. We're just about to go live and announce that in the coming days, I'm pleased to say with ESEC. But clients, even though it's a U.S., stroke canada stroke mexican regulation clients are saying well we want to solve that globally So, so i think increasingly that's forcing us and other service providers to respond globally and try and be standardized in the offering so yeah i'd say resiliency efficiency meeting regulatory incoming burdens requirements changes are clearly aspects of importance And I also think in the environment we're in, given where rates are and income cost of capital ahead of file four, et cetera, again, the cost of doing business is changing and people's acceptance of inefficiencies that maybe were, they could accept at X level of fails or inefficiency that was acceptable in the past. I think increasingly the tolerance for that is reducing. So I'd say probably all of that are the priorities that we're seeing at the moment.
1: And Phil, you just noted it, but for listeners, we do have news this week, maybe even, I'm not sure of the day we'll release this podcast. Maybe we'll coincide with the announcement that we're jointly making, but we have, Phil noted it just a moment ago, Issa Clending is adopting and working strategically with PRM on a number of services, but in particular, we're adopting your automated recalls manager product and going live with that soon. Really, you know, it's probably a product that would have made a lot of sense regardless of T plus one, but sort of to what you just said, it obviously makes a lot more sense to get it in place in advance of t plus one and so that's something we're excited about and we're excited about it not just because of the us market and canada and mexico transitioning but really what it's hopefully going to do for our overall recalls processing and we are as you know implementing it globally so yeah it's a good solution and we're uh, excited to have exactly. it on board
2: Well, thank you. And we're super excited as well. And obviously a bit of a layup there, Brooke. Thank you for taking the opportunity to point that out. But yeah, we're thrilled to be going live. I think ESEC have been at vanguard of operational efficiency throughout the 20 years of your existence. And yeah, I'm glad to say you're one of the early adopters of that service well ahead of the May 24 go live. So I think increasingly this is a regulation that's narrowing the window of settlement, particularly in this case from T2 to T1 really up in the importance of automated solutions throughout the industry so that's why we're seeing such an uptick and i think increasingly with move to digitization overall the need for real-time operational process flows is only going to grow and grow
0: perfect timing i think for a recalls management product to hit the market not just because of t2 t1 but because of the cost of fails now so we see it in the states Easy borrows fail for a weekend, and it's quite expensive given where the interest rates are. And even outside the U.S., the pain points and tolerance for fails for our clients seems to be dwindling at a rate that's difficult to keep up with. So to the extent the trading team gets involved in recalls at some point, we are really looking forward to this product. So I can't wait to see it.
1: Yeah, Jim, you might be one of the first beneficiaries of us implementing PRM's Recall Manager, even though that is not your official day-to-day role, right?
0: I suspect my whining probably had something to do with us being (laughs) early adopters. Yeah, looking forward to it.
2: We look forward to welcoming you, so it's, yeah, days away. Cheers.
1: Good, good. What else do you see? 10C1 is something that is around the corner. You reference the Basel implementations that are happening kind of across the globe. In the U.S. market, there's also the U.S. shift to central clearing and then just kind of bigger, which has nothing to do specifically with that, but then just the bigger consideration of more central clearing, perhaps being solutions for the market. What are some of the other next product focuses that, and it goes back to what you were talking about earlier. So I know that there's a lot of them. And again, if you think about, you only have so much in terms of resource that you can help to solve any one particular problem, but what are some of the next nearer term focus areas for PRM in building out solutions? You categorized them just a moment ago, resiliency, reg, operational efficiency. But can you be more specific about a couple and give us just a couple of examples of other things that you're specifically trying to solve for for folks?
2: So from a resiliency perspective, we've been active for many years and certainly up that in the last two or three years as the risk has gotten greater. So In the next six to 12 months, all of our products will be moving to AWS. So we'll be in the cloud. So that offers a high degree of protection and resiliency. So that's a big project for us that in some ways is invisible to our clients, but ultimately will give our clients or should give our clients better peace of mind and certainly improves our security footing. Equally internally focused we've moved on to service cloud for example for our customer support functions and we're utilizing some of the ai function and chat functionality within that again to try and make our internal processes more efficient but then clearly make it better for the clients as well Mm -hmm. yeah as clients become more comfortable being self-service and liaising with a ui rather than necessarily picking up the phone it's almost kind of moving from high touch to more digital but that's what the clients want so i'd say Quite a lot of internal things that are going to improve our process to our clients. Then there's the REG bracket. You mentioned Tennessee one We benefited from a good collaboration with IHSM, now SP, in the SFTR space a number of years ago, where we developed a pretty good solution. From my determination, obviously you're a client, yeah. you can it more than me, but one that works, you know, we've got 160, 170 clients using it, and it's robust you know, I've agreed with SP that if the market determines that they want a solution for 10 C one and a number of clients have indicated that they do amongst yourselves, that we would partner once more with S P to develop that solution. So that's one that's kind of early days and it's really will be led essentially by client demand rather than build it and hope people come. But I think that's the right way to build product. Right.
1: There was a clear need under SFTR, but you still built it as a, and I don't know what you call it, but sort of as a user group, right? You had a collection of market participants that were heavily engaged in the design and the build out of that. Is that a similar mindset that you would take to something like this?
2: Totally, yeah. So we call yeah. it a design partnership group. Okay. We do exactly the same things. So Struan Lloyd runs the reg business over at SP. So Struan and I, we're starting, there'll be a few events. Isla, we're going to be doing a joint event, and we're going to be doing a joint event at KASLA, I believe, and a couple of other places where we're going to be effectively testing the market. So, absolutely, you know, I think the appetite for the market is there for us to do it. We just want to further pressure test that, which I think is sensible. So from a reg perspective, clearly, you know, there's that, there's T plus one, which is really pushing the recalls and automation side of things. And then beyond that, we've recently launched equivalent automation in the repo space, really looking to kind of help clients with the lifecycle management, affirmation, confirmation, pair offs, block allocations, coupon automation. So again, the lifecycle items that are incumbent in repo and in many ways suffer from the same inefficiency the stock loan does. So that's a big push for us this coming year. And I think the other area we're starting to kind of gain traction really commenced by the market's appetite to adopt a CCP solution once more, because obviously we had a few years of less activity, let's call it that. We're working with the developing clearinghouses to offer connectivity to those as they come live so that's a big consideration for us in 2024 and one that we're likely to develop but what that's kind of it started with the clearing discussion and then I guess as a result of recent events is making us kind of think about things slightly more broadly. And a number of clients have stated that, you know, there's a number of potential NTFs out there. There's a number of bilateral solutions. There's a number of developing CCPs. And rather than the client's build connectivity to each and every one of those and have eight different APIs, there's an increasing appetite or seemingly appetite from eight to 10 clients at the moment and growing around Pyram offering that connectivity. So it's kind of like you connecting once to the Pyram or Pyram connects you in, because obviously we do that integration and we enable clients then to connect to wherever they want to trade. So in a sense, we, we maintain a kind of Switzerland position and enable connectivity to where the clients want to connect. So I think that's probably something that we look to develop this year because I think given recent changes, I think, client's view of concentration or the importance of optionality has become more acute. So therefore are looking for a provider that maybe can help them eliminate the vast number of point solutions that otherwise they may have to use.
1: The visual that gives me is sort of connecting to the head of an octopus.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. We've already done it for the post-trade. So we kind of do it for the TR connectivity and the triparties. So if you think about it from that perspective, we're already do the post-trade connectivity. I'd say this is kind of pre-trade connectivity. So be it you trade with a broker and you determine you want to clear that. Okay, well, we just almost route that down with a different Pyram automated router and we kind of take care of the rest. So, yeah, that's exactly how I'm envisaging the flow diagram. I like it.
0: It makes they're sense not, because they're, they're not they're- My hope would be there is standardization and agreement on where you go to do that activity. And as time goes by, I think it sounds like you may agree. It feels to me like there isn't going to be that magic bullet, that one solution, either from a trading perspective or otherwise. And so there will be a need for that sort of interoperability through connectivity. And I'd love to be able to go to one place to connect to many places. It's clever. It's smart.
2: Yeah, I mean, whether it's yeah connectivity, at some point, it could be kind of aggregation, or it could even be determination, it can evolve over time. But I think as the complexity of the ecosystem gets ever more complex and ever more point solution orientated, I think assisting clients kind of navigate that or avoid the need to keep building connections as it gets more complex is something that customers are saying, Well, a kind of SaaS fintech is perfectly and one that's kind of trusted and already has connectivity to over a hundred market participants is well placed to assist with that, especially. As you know, we don't offer an MTF ourselves, or we don't sell data, etc. All we are is currently a post trade provider. Could we get more into the kind of pre trade? I think the answer is yes. And I think that's definitely something we'll be looking at developing in the coming year.
1: Isn't that also why my octopus analogy is so spot on? You can connect in and that brain that the octopus has, which is like supposed to be incredibly intelligent, can then actually figure out what to do with it. It's not just like connect in and tell you where to go, but that you sort of would help figure out how that routes.
2: You're absolutely right. I think day one, it could be a dumb router, frankly, but day day two, if customers want it to have a degree of intelligence to Mm -hmm. help work out what best X is, especially when you start layering in. Our collateral capabilities so rather than trade purely on the fee if it's fee or the capital weighting of a counterpart or the collateral parameters that the counterpart are willing if you boil all, all of that into the determination that will really tell you what the best trade is rather than this is 10 bits and that's 20 bits
1: yeah right when the octopus is smarter than Jim let it go let the person go
2: there's
0: no way phil's going to use that analogy in his marketing zero zero chance
1: i don't know i think it's pretty clutch
2: yeah maybe we do it yeah exactly we can have an i'm thinking swag i'm thinking oh, yeah, yeah i
1: am always thinking swag too phil and you guys have good swag generally so yeah we try we try yeah <laughs> All right. I mean, there's always industry events coming up, I guess, but I feel like right now it's particularly busy. PASLA is the week after next, correct? Um, yeah, right. Obviously then we'll skip a few months ahead, but there's a lot of industry events, both in North America, in Europe and otherwise. Are there any other topics that we haven't spent time on that you think are going to be very compelling or new or different at some of these industry events? When people like us do our post-mortem podcast after an event like that, what do you think we'll be spending time talking about? Yeah, I think
2: we've probably covered a lot of the big items. You know, I think resiliency, contingency, regulation, you know, clearing. I think all of those are big hot topics at the moment. I guess the one thing that we're increasingly thinking about as a vendor or service provider, people say a vendor, they think that's an offensive remark. It's not, we are a vendor, that's our job, right? Mm. So. <laughs> is return on capital, I suppose, is one. I think increasingly in an environment of revenue pools reducing, you know, cost of fails, cost of doing business increasing, inevitably people are looking or considering their return on capital, their bang for the buck, or what they're paying service providers, are they getting value? So yeah, that's definitely something that we're experiencing currently, and in some ways, changing our thinking around dialogue with customers. So looking at actually what is the cost to fail? What is the cost of inefficient collateralization and boiling that up into a potential return on investment cost save so that the fees that we're charging customers and clearly we do in some ways become more defensible if you can justify or validate or even better provide real data around the value that you're providing. So I suppose that's one thing we haven't talked about, but I definitely think is in this environment, something customers in our industry are really making sure they're getting value.
1: Well, good. Phil, this has been really fun and interesting. It's a slightly different conversation than we typically have and we like it. And it's hopefully interesting to our listeners as well. I'm excited that you joined us for this first time. You can commit now, I guess, if you would like to, but I won't force so. you I'm to. Involved. I was going to say, are you are you willing to come back?
2: I am more than willing to come back if you want me. Uh, for yes. sure. Maybe we can see some of the stuff I've talked about in a few months, how much of that has right. become a reality or not. But no, it's been a great experience. Thank you. BSEC a great partner and collaborator. And we appreciate your support as we move through the digitization and automation journey, which has been exciting with your support.
1: Great, right, good. Well, thank you, Phil, and much of the same in return to you. We value you as a vendor in the nicest of ways, and appreciate your time today.
0: Maybe we podcast from a conference with Phil at one point.
1: That'd be good. That'd be nice. Well, the three of us will probably be at Isla, right, Jim? Yeah. yeah. Why don't we do that? And maybe let's get some fourth person. I don't know yet to be determined, maybe one of our listeners, you can either silently or loudly raise your hand or voice Mm -hmm. to one of the three of us and maybe get in on it. Fantastic. Okay. All right. Well, we'll do that then. All right. Well, Phil, thank you again, listeners. Great to talk to you. We'll be in touch soon. Thank you. All the best. Bye bye.
2: Thanks for tuning in. As always, we
1: appreciate your feedback. Let us know what you think. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer.
0: This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of or liability for decisions based on such information.
1: Thanks for listening.